We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. As we round into the holiday season, we think about what this time of year is meant to be. It's a time of charity, of giving, and thinking of people that have less than you do. So at this festive time of year, please spare a moment to think of the 19 other Premier League clubs who will not be top at Christmas. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. We are top of the league. Say we are top of the league and we are there to stay, not for tomorrow, not for the day after tomorrow, but for at least six weeks, dare I say six months, because if we do that, well, then we really have something to talk about. Uh, And I will not sing the Shania Twain song in that moment, but it is the World Cup break. I think we will debate whether we wanted a World Cup break or not. I don't know that that's necessarily something we wanted, but it is here nonetheless. We are going to have a World Cup daily every single day. You can just come right to this feed that you love so much. All right, you tolerate so much. You can come here and you can hear Lewis Ambrose and you can hear Phil Costa and probably one of me or Tim or Clive or Paul or a and other high-level guest to deliver you the kind of expertise you want when hearing about the World Cup, which is mostly how the Arsenal players do. We, We may go further into depth than that, but we'll certainly be going into that. Um, I do want to wish all the Arsenal players a good World Cup break. I hope none of them are currently, as they listen to this, crapping their pants because apparently that was a thing that was going on up in Wolverhampton. Um, And as someone who spent some of the weekend doing it myself, I want to say it's no fun. It's no fun. You know, they made toilets, I don't know what, hundreds of years ago? And like they're way better than pants for containing that sort of thing. Um, unless you're a small baby, like my two-year-old, in which case th- that can go wherever it wants to go. This is sort of, I think, sort of been sidetracked already. I think it's I think it's fair to say. So anyway, we love you. Thank you for being here. I, I would encourage you to check out the instant reaction of the Wolves game because we were all on one. There was some emotion flowing. It was... Uh, highly enthusiastic and, and entertaining. And there's going to be a lot of scouting videos over on Patreon now. We're going to hit 
Gosh, we got a lot. Murdick, is that how you say his name? Murdick, Facundo Torres, Danilo, all of our uh, loanees are going to get scouted. We might watch a game from Arteta's earlier era to now to compare the distance we've traveled. Let me tell you, it's a big distance. So lots of fun stuff going on. Let's set that aside. We're going to talk Wolves today. We're going to talk City losing to Brentford. We're going to talk the World Cup break and who it helps, who it hurts. And we're going to do that with Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stuberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And Clive, you can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And yeah, there he is. Um, The first thing I want to do, Clive, is just get your thoughts on like using pants versus toilets for, no, I'm kidding. Um, We we don't need, we don't need to do that, but let's, um, well, well, let's do, let's do this. The, the Wolves game, it's it's tough, right? Somehow it already feels like a million years ago. I can't explain. Maybe it's because the Ronaldo news of him yep. just trashing United publicly has been such a joy to, to, to behold. I've been on Twitter. I got into someone's mentions. I said, you know, I speak on behalf of all United fans when I say they need we need to sack Ten Hag and replace him with Ronaldo as player manager. And I had a load of United fans saying I'm not a real United fan, to which I say... Guilty as charged. But but Clive, this was an interesting situation. City had lost. We had a chance to consolidate. Apparently, there's a stomach bug going through the squad. And we had to come out and, and do this so that we could go into the six-week break on a high. And I think it's fair to say that at least in the first half, we had our a level of control, but not a level of sharpness. That The, the thing we lacked, and they spoke about this after the game, was the tempo. So... In terms of that first half, what are your high-level thoughts uh, for the fact that we still looked like Arsenal, but we didn't we didn't have the tempo to really move Wolves out of the way and, and, and create the openings we needed? Yeah, so my thoughts were, okay, we've got a chance now to go five clear. And historically, when we've had these opportunities in the past, we tend to trip over ourselves and not quite execute. So that was my worry. So I made myself more nervous than I normally am for a, a game where I'm not at it. So um so that was number one. And then we did start slow. And then but then you looked at the game and they didn't come to play us. They just sat into a five four one block and said, You're gonna have to break us down. And so that immediately takes away the contest. That immediately takes away the, the pace of pass. Or you become susceptible to the fact that it's so easy, the passes are just not snapped. When you're under pressure, the passes are snapped into feet. You trust people's touch. The ball moves quicker. You're doing things off one touch rather than three. And everything looks better. That's because you're being pressed on the ball. You're being They didn't do anything, right, until we got into the into their last line. So it made it a, a counter-attack game. So... Then you become, when you're watching, you're now not watching the game. You're watching and saying, can we play really, really well and not make the mistake that they want so they can counter on us? So you're now watching a different game in your mind, and which, really uh, which is a shame because we've enjoyed the games recently, you know. So, um, But it is what it is, right? As we get better, this might happen a bit more. Teams that don't mm-hmm. want to play us because we might outplay them. And um, So, yeah, Saturday night fair. Um Mm-hmm. average for that first half in particular as the ball was moving around in a very pedestrian manner. Yeah, and and I think, gosh, who was talking about it after the match? One of the Arsenal players, uh, it was Ramsdale, saying we needed to move it quicker. And he made a specific comment that you just referenced, Clive, and, and I thought this was really astute. And he had quite a good view of the game because, you know, he wasn't doing a hell of a lot, let's be honest. Um, that we were almost, we seemed nervous to give it away, 
because we understood that Wolves were playing so much on the counter. And to their credit, when they got it, they they attacked in pace with numbers, four running straight at us quickly. And so we had that look of not wanting to play it first time for fear that if we gave it away, we might be opened up a bit. And so there was this weird balance, and it is something, Clive, I agree, that we're going to have to learn to cope with as the season goes on and teams realize just how good we are, which is you give the ball away as high up the pitch as we are playing and you're exposed, and you've still got to have the bravery to play it first time, to move it quickly and understand that you might give it away. Um, but Tim, also, I think, look, Granite Jack is in the conversation for player of the season so far for us. He's He's been exceptional. And in a very young team, when you take out a 30-year-old leader and you put in an early 20-something with limited experience, you're not just changing the quality of the team, you're changing the level of being able to manage an away trip with pressure on your shoulders in, in that kind of environment under the lights at Wolves. And Vieira has to come in. And I'm wondering, aside from your concern for Shaka's underpants, how you feel that may have influenced it. Because I thought Vieira went on to have a very nice game, but in the first half, he looked to me like someone who's had some uneven performances recently and certainly wasn't expecting to be in the game yet. So I I think it took time also for us to come to terms with that switch. Yeah, definitely. That definitely contributed to unbalancing things for us a little bit, which I think is completely understandable, like you say, when you take out such an experienced um, player like Xhaka, who will have played at Wolves a million times and knows what it's all about, knows what our system's all about. Vieira, when he's come in, he's either come in. Like one of the things that makes him such an interesting and valuable player for us is that he plays Saka, Erdegaard and Xhaka's position, potentially. But of those three, it's Saka and Erdegaard's positions he's played the most. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Xhaka his role in terms of being in one of those attacking lanes of five, he's like the last to arrive. The the other four are already there. They're the front four, but he's the one who's expected to go. Um, and so that's kind of interesting. But um, I do think that this role, I still think in the long term, this is the role that's the most open for him. Um, mm-hmm. If Saka signs a new contract, that's not up for grabs. Yep, Erdegaard's isn't up for grabs. This is the one that's potentially coming up in the next couple of years. And the reason I think it 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 will kind of suit Vieira, when I was watching the League Cup game last week, I was looking at a couple of the players, thinking about this 5-5 five, five kind of thing we do with the five lanes of attack. And uh, like I said on the instant reaction, one of the things I was I was wondering about Sambi Lukonga is it sometimes I don't think he belongs in either. Um, yeah. Like he's not a behind the ball or ahead of the ball player. And I kind of thought the same about Vieira as well. And one of the things when you know when you guys did the scouting video on him and stuff I've seen is at Porto, he's popping up everywhere. You know, he's in the fullback positions, he's in the false nine and things like that. And obviously at Arsenal, it, it's not really like that. I think that will be a very valuable grounding for him eventually. But it's much more particularly like that left attacking, like left half space lane. It's like, that's where you are. You're like you're in midfield, and then when we get the ball forward, you're popping forward there, and so mm. I, I think it does take a little while to nail. But I do also think that it's probably the role that's going to end up suiting him the most. So I thought it was really interesting because you're right; it took it like the first half was a bit of a non-event for him. Um, I, I wonder as well, like because Xhaka went down initially in like the the first minute, the second minute. And then he comes off like 15 minutes later. So I don't know how long Vieira had psychologically to prepare. I don't know whether Arteta would have said to him, look, if if Granite, because he had other options, I don't know whether yep. he said, look, if Granite doesn't make this, you're the one that's coming on. 
Um, so, you know, have a look at the game, have a look at the shape of the game and see where you can, you think you can make a difference. But yeah, it, it's certainly the first half, a bit of a write-off for him. He didn't quite look like he knew when to be in that attacking lane and when to drop. I think in the second half, particularly with the goal, he kind of got it. And I'm sure the conversation at half time was, look, just go forward. Like they're, they're not yep. really attacking, just go for it. And I do also wonder as well, like, if that extra 15 minutes for Arteta to make the decision was handy. Because maybe in the first minute when the game's not in a pattern, he kind of goes, oh, I'll bring on Sambi or El Nenny. But having had another 15 minutes to look at it, thinking about the fact he might have to make this change, I'm sure he just went, no, Wolves aren't doing anything here. Let's put on another attacker. Yeah, and, and actually, see, this is where I think situations like this can tell you a lot about how a manager thinks of a player and what their future is at the club. Because we saw many key moments in the last season and a half where if Elneny was available, Sambi didn't get picked. And I just think it's starting to feel increasingly clear that that's not a player Mikel totally fully trusts. I mean, we saw him not pick Pepe in clear situations. But here you are away, an important Premier League game. This isn't Europa League. This isn't League Cup. He could have moved Zinchenko there and brought on a fullback. Right now, apparently, apparently, Tierney wasn't well, was was more unwell, I guess, than some of the others. But the fact that he brings on Vieira there, and by the way, Sambi wasn't even in the squad. Now he might have been sick too, so I don't I don't know what's going on there, but he didn't make the match day squad, which isn't a great sign. But he didn't pick any of these others. He he went with Vieira, and I, I think that that's important confidence in the player, trust in the player that he showed in that situation. Clive, there were a few big moments in the first half. I kind of want to go through a couple of them because I think they're interesting. Firstly, Jesus does, of course, get a goal that winds up being offside. And it's a shame because it's it's another beautiful Martinelli in-swinger from the top of the box kind of area, fired in, great Jesus run. Well, not a great Jesus run because he's offside, but the first touch and then the finish is brilliant. Maybe because he knows he's offside, the pressure's off there, but obviously it's ruled out. But then there's a couple of moments. I I think one of the things Manchester City did when they became a Pep Guardiola team, they became one of the league leaders in fouls committed. If you're going to press and if you're going to play a high line, you got to be willing to foul early. And fouling early does two things. It stops counters, and it also usually avoids yellows. There was no better moment this season for me to know we've arrived and we're the top team and we're viewed as good than when Odegaard commits that foul in the first half, early on, cynical counterattack stopping foul, and the yellow doesn't come out. And then Toddy does the same thing on the other side, and the yellow comes out immediately. Because those are the calls City started to get that would drive you nuts. Those that that is a central part of how we have to play if we're going to play this high line, and we got to get away with some of that cynical stuff. And we did, and I, I love to see it. Um, but we got away with something else, and that's Saliba's potential foul for a penalty. Wolves played that offside loophole thing that we've seen done to us before, Clive, right? Where they position the central forward offside, play it up the wing, central forward is back onside in the second phase, and then they're they're in. Saliba uses pace to get back. There's a tangle of legs. It looks like a pen. I don't totally understand the decision that was made there. What are your thoughts broadly on that situation, whether it was judged correctly and what actually happened there? Because I'm not I'm not sure what the ruling was based on. Some people say it was an offside. I have no idea. Was it a pen? What should it have been? 
there could have been a couple of offsides in there, but I, I suppose we didn't get a chance to really judge the offsides because we didn't see the lines. So yeah, yeah. I won't comment on that. I'll comment on the challenge. I felt, I felt when you're the referee, you have to see who's initiating the contact. And Saliba put his foot around the ball and the other guy, for me, tried to do the same and they clashed legs. I think, if anything, uh, Guedes, I think his name is, I think mm-hmm. he initiated the contact and I think that's how referees see this now. They're getting a bit wiser to this, of players throwing their legs into areas mm-hmm. with the other players there by right and he's just trying to move for the ball. And so I felt they read it that way. I would see it that way because I'm an Arsenal fan, right? So um, my name's not Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. So I wasn't looking for a reason <laughs> to get excited to get a player sent off at half time to create a drama for the TV so they can criticise Arsenal for bottling it again before Christmas because I'm not that way inclined. Whereas obviously Sky TV were on the day. So, so yeah, I just saw it as instant. I didn't see any dramas. I didn't see anything there to be concerned about. Um, we have a team which is pretty well set up for teams that want to counter-attack us because we've got a couple of defenders that chase rabbits and can run with the wind and basically mm-hmm. they can win most of those races. So I think the key thing is just to be accurate and keep that ball moving so we don't get killed on the counter. Don't play too many square, silly short passes that are too square. They invite the pressure, etc., etc. So... Yeah, I don't think it's much else to see. I, I, there, other than that, mate, to be honest. Well, all right. So one other. Um, so G- Gabby cleans that up, and then there's another big moment that Gabby cleans up. It's the Saliba giveaway. It's a back pass to the keeper. Uh, I know James on the Ars cast had, had said this that it looked like Arteta was shouting for Saliba to go back to the keeper. Well, he does. He gives it away. I, I'll tell you, this is how you know people are wound real tight on the internet. Uh, <laughs> I made the comment, it looks like Saliba's got one of those in him every game. Now, I'm as big a Saliba fan as there has been. I was on the Saliba hype train when he was in France, right? Saliba is up there for errors this season, as great as he is, and he is amazing. He's had a few of these, like square balls or back passes that haven't gone right this season. Here's another one. Someone on the internet offered to fight me because of it, but that that's okay. That happens. Um, <laughs> you Believe me, if you want to offer to fight someone, offer to fight me. It's probably your best bet. You're, you're going to come out a lot better than that than in some situations. But Clive, um, Gabrielle makes up for it there. And, and I think, I hope that people have started to come around on Gabrielle. He wins us the game against Chelsea. And he's bailed out Saliba in a couple situations. He did in the penalty shot area because he comes back and cleans that up. He did in this situation where Saliba gives it away. Saliba, of course, has been one of the stars of the season in the league. But I think for people who have been frustrated with Gabrielle, are we seeing now him getting a chance to earn back some love because he's been really prominent lately. And again, in this game, two situations that could have made this a different game and he's there to clean it up. Yeah, I think Sleber played the um, the midweek game mostly, didn't he? Got a few minutes. Sometimes mm-hmm. you often find when the central defenders have a bit of a, a frayed edge game. They've played the most minutes recently, you know, and I, yep. and I just yeah, think that's played, one of those. Midweek. I didn't, I thought, we have, let's, let's just, Let's just get this all out there, right? So we know we have we have five in, five up, right? So and of of that back five, we have two that are always back there. It's almost like sweepers. In fact, Sleeper is actually literally 
he's almost like a in a triangle at the back there. He's like the sweeper of the team. And so we really do overexpose these players, particularly when you've got Vieira in midfield and Odegaard in midfield. So there could be a bit more transition. So we ask them to do a lot of big space stuff. And they are perfectly skilled at doing it. And so once I look at these two players and see what they have, left foot, right foot, good size, really quick, can be aggressive, both front foot and, and run after things back foot, pass the ball really well, really good progressive passes. They can slow things down, pause to play, don't get cut off from one side of the pitch to the other. They can switch to play. They can diag. I look at all these things, and I'm, I'm telling you now, I tell you, I tell you, mate, they are going to make mistakes. <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. going to happen. But the core skill sets are there. And even when Gabriel's making the odd mistake, he didn't mean he couldn't play football because all the jewels he does win just are just massive. I wouldn't yeah. swap them two for any two in the league. Not any two no. in the league. I wouldn't, I wouldn't no. swap them. And they allow us to do what we did with Vieira. Somebody that's new to the league in a non-contest game, we can put somebody a little bit lighter in midfield because we know we're more secure at the back than we were last season when we tried to do a similar thing with Smith-Rowe because we've got the right weight, the right physicality, the right balance. But when Ben White adds to that on the other side. So I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of those players in particular. And again, from when I used to play myself, I used to look behind me and I want to see my centre-backs look like centre-backs. You know, they can handle most duels. And if I was playing in centre midfield, I look behind me and I see those two, I'd be, I'd be really happy, really happy. Yep. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And it doesn't hurt, Tim, when you also have players ahead of the centre-backs who are willing to work as hard as these players do. And it's high time we just stop referencing Jesus's gold drought because look, he had five shots in this game again, the sixth that was offside. Um, the goals are going to come. When you're taking three, four, five shots a game, when your XG is right up there near the top of the league, I know people don't always love these advanced metrics, but you didn't love them when we referenced them during the Emery unbeaten run and they came back to hit us. Well, now we're flipping the script on that. And we're saying they're letting you know that Jesus is, has got a goal, goal avalanche coming. And maybe just maybe the World Cup break helps him actually because this whole thing of how many games it's been since he's scored can just go away. It'll feel like a fresh start when he comes back. He'll come back and and bang him in. But he's doing all the other stuff. And I have a note here. There was a time when Adama Traore was running towards our central defenders. He's one of the hardest guys to tackle in space. And someone just races up shoulder to shoulder, takes it off his boot. And I'm like, who did? Was that part? No, it's not party. It's not big enough to be part. It wasn't Saliba. And it was Jesus. It was Jesus just one-on-one races back, takes the ball off Traore. He's like a phenomenal tackle. Um, you know, plus the five shots, the threat he always causes. I, I thought again, he he could have been a man of the match here, right? Mm. I mean, I think he plays in Vieira for the. I guess is it is it the first goal? Yep, yeah, plays in yeah, Vieira. Yeah, really nice um, reverse pass. Yeah, he he's he's just still central to what we're doing, but he's not giving up the striker stuff. He's just not finishing it yet. I thought it was mm. another great game for him, and I. I wonder what you think it does to have this guy who's taken on the leadership role tracking back to the halfway line to take the ball off Adama Traore in terms of keeping everybody focused. You know, there was this whole talk about, will they have one eye on the World Cup? Well, when a guy who's going to play striker for Brazil is running back to the halfway line to take the ball off Adama Traore, 
with an hour left before the World Cup break starts, I think it keeps everybody on on the pitch clearly focused on the job at hand, you know? Yeah, definitely. I, sometimes things that uh, managers or players say just really, really jump out at me. There's two things I've referenced a few times, I think, on the podcast this season, that Guardiola quote when he left and he just said, if you play him for five minutes, he gives you the best five minutes of his whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, like he doesn't, he doesn't have gears. Gabriel Jesus, it's just a, th- a thousand percent all the time. Yeah, he and, and Martinelli uh, have that in common. <clears throat> yeah, big time, yeah. big time. And the other one was after that. Was it the Bodo Glimt home game where Arsenal were kind of a couple, a couple of goals up, and it all started to drift off. He mm-hmm. comes on, beats three players, gets an assist, and Arteta said afterwards he used the words "follow him." Look at everything he's won, and he came on like yep. that and he said follow him and I thought that that was really really interesting I know we talked about that and how that felt like a I, I don't I don't want to say pointed I don't think it was that dramatic but that was a message um to his players there I think um I guess in the interests of uh, some balance maybe um not to be too much of a Pollyanna about this there are there are a couple of things maybe to just to keep an eye on with Jesus. I mean, if he goes like the last world cup had a profound impact on him because he didn't score and he Mm. did all that stuff that we're talking about, but like in Brazil, they don't care. They don't care. Like, sorry, when Brazil play at the world cup, nobody cares. It's, did you score? No, fuck off. You're useless. It's as simple as that. And that really impacted him last time. So I hope that there isn't like a nut, like he'll be des like he doesn't have the same role anymore. He's not going to be starting every game like he was at the last World Cup. And actually, what happened at the last World Cup is kind of the reason he's not starting every game anymore. But I kind of hope that there isn't a big trauma in Qatar for him because mm. um, that that could be something to watch. I think the other thing with Jesus as well as we've got to remember, he hasn't been playing every single game for quite a while now at man city it was much more you start a game you're on the bench for a game here he's playing like every minute of every game which don't get me wrong he wants and he needs and that's a big that's the biggest part of the reason he came to arsenal but yeah you know probably something we might have to keep an eye on um particularly towards the end of the season so in a way Actually, my main thought about the World Cup is that he won't do that, is that he'll be coming off the bench. He's, he'll pretty much be their first sub, I think, but he'll be playing 20, 30 minutes a game and actually that might do him some good. Um, you know, keep him ticking over without um, absolutely breaking him. Um, but absolutely, like just absolutely everywhere. And, you know, I know we've discussed this before and Paul probably most eloquently of all of us saying, like all of the stuff you've just talked about, tackling back Traore, popping up on the left wing and all of that, that's probably a big part of the reason he doesn't always score, um, quite frankly. And I I do think it's on his mind a bit. I have seen it in some of his finishing. I haven't seen it in his overall play. But I think since the Southampton game, it's been in his finishing. And that, that um, shot where he hits the bar in this game and mm-hmm. like he should really score that um there's a bit when I will say I think it's offside it, I think if he scores it's going to well, be offside yeah maybe up on that but yeah I mean maybe you yes, should finish that yep. but yeah it's like quite a big bit of the goal to aim at and I think he slightly snatches it and so I, I do think it's kind of been on his mind a little bit just in front of goal no, nothing nothing really really bad though and once again his overall contribution was absolutely outstanding and one of the things I'm thinking about at the moment I guess like trying to blank content for six weeks where Arsenal don't play is like 
So what what's the difference from last season? Why do we look better? And uh, Gabriel Jesus is in massive letters as um, possibly the biggest reason that we look better alongside William Saliba. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was taking running notes of this game. And think about the times you've seen center forwards play where when they trudge off at 70 minutes, you're like, I totally forgot they were playing. My notes are... Jesus tackles, Jesus slips in Saka, Jesus shot goes wide, Jesus goal offside, Jesus, you know, shot off the crossbar, Jesus tackles, Jesus plays in Odegaard, uh, Jesus plays in Vieira for the Odegaard goal. I, I mean, it, he was just central to everything we did. And Clive, the, obviously we needed to get the goals, and the way we got them, I think, is after halftime, we just upped the tempo. It was just that simple. I think we went from three touch to two touch. I don't think we ever got to one touch in this game, but we moved it just a little quicker. The first goal actually comes from Martinelli injecting a little bit of pace and chaos. He goes on a mazy dribble through the midfield. He t- picks it up on the left, carries it to midfield, carries it central, carries it to the right half space, pulls everything out of shape, gets back to Jesus. Jesus plays in Vieira. Vieira gets the assist. Uh, you know what? I, I think Vieira does take a heavy touch. Uh, heading towards the byline there, but he does play the right ball. And the thing I loved about this, a couple of seasons ago, I kept saying, how are we going to score? There's no one in the box. If there's no one in the box, you can't score off deflections, second balls, tap-ins. Now, Vieira's putting it through through the center of the box and there's 100 people queuing up to tap it in. I, I think that that first goal is a beautiful exemplar of the way we've changed just in terms of the the urgency and numbers that we've put into the attack. What's your take on Vieira's assist for the first one? Yeah, I really enjoyed Vieira's performance in this game. I think he was mm-hmm. a it was the right substitution to make. Um we had choices and we made the right one. And he took his time, but I thought his his run off the shoulder was beautiful. Um and all we did at it was move the ball quicker and we started to run through. And I think running through is how you distract blocks. You've got to have runners that run through. And I think we played a bit in front of them. And Jesus, was, he was carrying us in the first half. And then we started to run through them. So those distraction runs were great. I often think when I, I don't like living in the past, but sometimes I think about past players who would love to play in our front five. And I, you know, for for the younger listener, shall we say, who mm-hmm. who really started to love Arsenal when Aaron Ramsey joined the team, if you imagine Aaron Ramsey in that left position, running mm. through the lines, <laughs> running into the box, I think he scored twenty goals a season, and he, <laughs> and he doesn't have to run back because we got because we got fullbacks inverted, and he's got because mm. we used to make him run back. By the way, as a part of a double pivot, so could you imagine him in this team being in an area when he's at his best in the box, really? And um. <laughs> So, yeah, and that's what happens sometimes. It's, it is about system sometimes, and I've critiqued that player, as you guys know. But but I thought Vieira, I thought the way he did that, I thought was just genius. The way he, you could say it's a heavy touch, but he got there, and he was in control of it, as far as I'm concerned. But what he did is he attracted the goalkeeper to him, and that just was just genius. But then to have the composure then to do the right thing, take out the defenders and see the pass. There, I thought it was a beautiful assist and I was so pleased for him because we're we're trying to work him out and 
We're trying to see what he's got. And the, the tendency is to look at what he doesn't have first. Oh, he get pushed off the ball. We're not sure what he is. Is he a left outside right? Is he an, in, is he an Odegaard? Is he a left eight? I love these debates. And these are the players that I want to see more of come in. Because as long as they've got the brain and the technique and the speed of thought to play with the other players who've got the brain, the technique and the speed of thought, that's what I'm looking for. And the rest yeah. will be developed over time. So I thought it was a beautiful goal. And it took all my nerves away. Right, And again, on the end of it, Elliot was a player who we want to see get in the box and have more shots on goal. You know, and and so we saw two things that we um, potentially always wanted: a creative eight passing mm-hmm. to the other creative eight, stroke ten, and and getting the first goal. Yeah, one eight to the other eight for a goal, and if he doesn't tap it in, Sack is there to tap it in. <clears throat> That's what you want to see. I'll see your Aaron Ramsey and raise you a prime Santi Cazorla for that left eight position. Another guy who would have... I don't think he runs through. I don't think he runs into the box enough, mate. Maybe a young Santi would have done. A young Santi. But later on, he was behind the ball player. When when he started Arsenal, he was left wing. Remember that? Right? Left wing? Yep. Yeah, yeah. A young Um, Santi, that's what I mean. A young Santi would have done that. The older Santi was the double pivot master. You can't get it off me guy and that's where he, that's how I remember him mostly asked. okay fine we'll, we'll just stick with prime Aaron Ramsey I guess that'll have to do as Granite Shaq is sitting here saying what, what What? am I chopped liver having the best season of my career well Shaq if you're going to crap your pants then you, nah, you I'm got, try- we're gotta, trying to retire him again Ramsey. aren't I I'm always trying to do it <laughs> always trying to get rid of Granite Shaq for God's sakes that's why I'm his number one fan head of his fan club um, yeah Tim the the thing about this arsenal is you can't just score pretty goals. You can't just play tiki-taka. You have to put in the work. You have to gr- you have to graft. And the second goal has a little bit of all of that, right? Because Martinelli chases a lost cause into the corner. And he wins it. And that's Martinelli down to the ground, right? Because he, I don't know that he had his absolute best quality this game. I don't know that he has for a couple of games. But he, he goes and gets it in the corner. He comes out of the corner to make sure he's into the box to take the rebound shot. And then there's Odegaard again with a finish that I think is probably harder than than it looks. I mean, he slams it in with power, but he slams it in accurately to the place where the, the players can't block it. And I think at times, Odegaard, if you're going to be critical of, of his finishing early in his Arsenal career, he was maybe a placement merchant. You know what I mean? He didn't mm-hmm. want to put his foot through the ball, but when he puts his foot through the ball, he can really burst the back of the net. You, you can't ask for much more than your captain saying, I got this last game before the World Cup. I'll get a brace. I'll win the game. He does it. And I think the second goal is a beautiful example of a team that says, yes, we can play pretty, but we'll also just take the ball off you in the corner and smash it in to win the game. It's 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 exactly the kind of character you need to show in a hard season because these away games are not always going to be about who's the prettiest team, you know? Yeah, and I think that was one of the the challenges, I guess, in insofar as fans can challenge players that <laughs> that a lot of us had was the all right, get in get into towards kind of double figures um for the season. And I think something I'd be really interested in is 
just off the top of my head, I bet if you did, uh, I don't know if they call them scattergram, but like when you see the position that goals are scored from, you could probably throw a, bran- a blanket over all of Odegaard's goals this season, all from around about that kind of penalty spot cut back kind of range, which is, you know, again, that won't be a coincidence. That's because that's, mm. that's going to be a worked move. I think, um, I think in both goals, Martinelli has a massive, massive part to play. Um, that in both occasions might not quite make the kind of quick highlight reels because in the first goal he has that little run in central midfield where he, you know, he cuts in and and you know with Martinelli as well, I kind of think this suits him really, but he he doesn't have, I mean, not, neither Saka more so, but Martinelli doesn't have like an overlapper. Um, because the left back is asked not to do that, which is why Tierney yeah. is not playing. Um, he has an underlapper usually in Xhaka, but you know Martinelli, he he does have to do a lot of stuff on his own. Um, I think mm-hmm. the trade off for him is he gets to stay forward because the left back doesn't really go anywhere. Well, doesn't go anywhere. Inverts into midfield, but the left back is kind of in the defensive block anyway. So Martinelli doesn't have to track back as much. But both of those like relatively virtuoso and and i think particularly the 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 first goal as well that that kind of lovely dribble which starts kind of nowhere but is exactly the kind of thing you need against a deep block where he attracts like three guys in to challenge him he gets through them and that opens the play up straight away and against mm. like a deep block you need that. You need that quality. You can have all the structure in the world, but when you've got like a wall of nine defenders in front of you, someone's got to do something. Someone's got to do something a little bit individual, a little bit different before, you know, Erdegaard taps it in from a yard or smashes one in from 10 yards. And I think Jesus really does that in the first goal. Martinelli does it in, in both goals. And so, he, you know, he's not going to get an assist to his name for either of them, but Martinelli has a big, big part of that. And, you know, I, I think we said earlier in the season that it feels to me like each of these games, like one of them will, like, you know, I was saying at the beginning of the season, there'll be Erdegaard games, there'll be Martinelli games, there'll be Jesus games and all of that. And actually, I think you've got the real range here because Erdegaard gets both goals, but Martinelli has a massive part in both goals. Jesus is really, really good. And so for me, it just felt like, basically and probably Saka was the quietest but like on 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 a day like this and obviously Xhaka had to come off and that had an impact but Fabio Vieira gets an assist so basically the structure is there that if we don't need always all of our attackers to be brilliant all the time we've got enough of a block of them basically where it's like if two or three of these guys have a good day we'll win and and I think that's what happens here. Like two or three of them have a good day and we win. And it's kind of that simple. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. And the thing I'll say on Saka is, I don't know if this was a decision or not. It may very well have been. Saka got into a lot of decent positions where he was isolated on the right against two defenders. And he tried to take on two defenders and that didn't come off for him a ton. But that's also because Ben White wasn't overlapping a lot. And I wonder if that was by design. Just, you know what? We're going to beat him. Let's not expose ourselves too much to the counter. Let's leave Ben White back a little bit. I don't know if that was the case or not because I found myself at times in this game saying, I wish I wish the patterns with White and Saka were more varied. I wish we varied that at times because White was doing the thing where he comes into the half space and he, he, he provides the back pass to Saka, but he wasn't providing the overlap as much. 
you know? Yeah, I, I think also um, I was listening to the Askcast earlier because helpfully they Smart. recorded on Sunday evening and yep. there was a really interesting question uh, from a listener that was basically saying, do you notice how Saka doesn't drive straight at the fullback when he gets the ball? Like when mm-hmm. he gets it, he waits. It's almost like he waits for that second guy mm-hmm. to come along. And I, I thought it was a really interesting question because it's not something I'd consciously noticed. But as soon as I heard the question, I was like, yeah, he does do that. And like, surely that's probably instruction. That's probably let the second guy come over to you. Because we're yeah. talking about Erdegaard scoring twice. We're talking about Vieira getting an assist. We're talking about Martinelli. Like, I think yeah, a lot of that is made pushing. possible yeah, by yeah. Saka inviting two people onto him. Clive? Yeah, can I, I want to talk about this actually because um, James did a great question to Arteta in the press conference. I'm not sure it was pre-game or about protecting Saka in wide areas, and and he said we got we got to be better tactically. We got to we got to not worry about the referee. The referee's got a tough job. Blah blah blah. I'm paraphrasing here. We have to do better tactically. And what I noticed recent games is how Saka's receiving the ball and Martinelli. And what they're doing, what's happening a lot, originally, when the ball goes into Saka's feet, sometimes he's pinned to the line and he boxes people off, he pins them back, and then he rolls inside. But sometimes when he rolls inside, he takes a kick. We've all seen it. He can protect the ball, post up the ball, particularly Saka. He does receive the ball standing still. Martinelli less so. He tends to receive the ball on the sprint a little bit more, and he puts his studs on the ball, rolls it away quickly, and then sprints off. Right, and goes around people on the invert. Or if he's got space, he then takes people on the outside. And so what I've noticed a little bit more, and I saw it at Chelsea clearly, they were passing the ball to Saka in a way when it was three yards in front of him. So imagine him back to the touchline, facing inward. Mm -hmm. Rather than passing to his feet when he's got chalk on boots, you pass it two or three yards in front of him, and then he sprints onto it. So now he's sprinting onto it. So he's already inverting at pace. I thought he did it against Cucurella because Cucurella had him on the outside a bit. And so he sprinted inside. And I think this is a tactic now. So we we they start wide, but the pass doesn't go to feet. It goes inside. And then we drive inside at speed and then connect with the connectors, which is Shaka and, uh, and Odegaard or, or Vieira in this case. And I think this is a way you protect players. If you're a standing target, you get smashed. If you're a moving target, you're in charge of the duel, the ball's on safe side, by safe side I mean it's on your side at furthest away from the defending player. So mm-hmm. the ball's on safe side and you're driving in and now you've got pace, you're in charge. Any foul at this point in time is a booking because you're at speed with control of the ball, right? Mm-hmm. You've taken away the two-on-one option because you've inverted, bang, quickly and agile inside. And I think this is what we're doing more of. He didn't do it in this game because Wolves didn't bother tackling us. But I do think in the Chelsea game, I did see that change in the second half. And Arteta sort of mentioned, we have to improve how we give these players the ball. And I've done my two and two together. I think that's what he's trying to introduce into our tactics. Sharp inversion. Don't pass to the player. Pass two, three yards ahead. Then you drive inside and make your connections that way. Yeah, no, I, I agree with a lot of that. I was about to say that verbatim, to be fair, so I'm, I'm glad you got a chance to say it instead of me. Um, Clive, I'll stay with you for a second, because then I want to zoom out, because I don't think there's much more in this game, but there is one thing in this game, and that's Zinchenko's performance, which I think is interesting. I want to be careful, because 
when we've looked best this season, we played with Zinchenko. Of all the left-back options we have, he understands that role better than anyone. He's played in it before under Pep. He understands it. He looks comfortable there. He's a midfielder for his country. I, I like him in that role. I don't think this was a great Zinchenko game. Now, admittedly, he did do a foul throw, so he is officially in the Arsenal fullback uh, uh, fraternity there. I don't even know if it was a foul throw, but he got called for it. But he was taking an extra touch, and I think it was just conti- continually a problem. And I, I think Zinchenko has that that thing he does that can be so effective, which is he waits a little longer to make the pass so that the player is drawn closer to him and there's more space to where it winds up. But in this game, I think he was waiting a little too long. And he just, he does get robbed of it. Against Chelsea, we saw he had an extra touch. He slips over because the ball isn't where he needs it. And they have a counterattack right before Tierney comes on. That was almost really dangerous. Well, I'll tell you one person who wasn't having it. And that's Aaron Ramsdale, who told him to don't take the effing piss. Or stop taking the effing piss. Screamed it at him. Okay? I love that. I love that combativeness in a team. I love that willingness to get in each other's faces and demand the best of each other. But I'm curious how you think about this, Clive, because there is no doubt in my mind we're at our best when Zinchenko's out there. But I thought this was a game where we just saw a little bit that you got to remember you're on an island a bit. You can't wait that long to make the pass. You can't take the third touch. And I think this was a game where he needed to clean up some of the sloppiness. Yeah, I think it's a game that suited him. Again, it was a possession game for us. Uh, what do we have here possession-wise? We ninety-five percent of the ball, or something silly like that. <laughs> I mean, that. we were seventy percent at and, and no we finished at sixty-two. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, but well, maybe being a bit facetious there, but but ninety-five percent. And part of the control that we have, <laughs> part of the control that we have is is down to him. Now I can see the times where he steps on the ball and falls over himself, and um, and I think. Mm, but I look at the season, I look at the season overall, and I think having that extra quality there, particularly the balance with Shaco, is a good balance. Yeah, I like the balance of that group. So I look at them as a three. I am a fan of Tommy Asu as well there. I am. And if I'm picking a team for my life, you know, for my life, it's a 50-50 debate whether who I like there. But I have a different view of the game. So I'm learning about Zinchenko and his impact to us. He has a lots of touches and they're very comfortable. And he's part of the reasons why teams don't even try to press us because we're too technically secure. Mm-hmm. I, my headline needs to react to, well, this was a day for the technicians. And we've become so quickly comfortable with how technical we are. You know, really quickly. Oh, well, he's made a mistake. <laughs> our technical level of our centre-backs and our full-backs and our centre-midfielders and our forwards is so high. But the moment we switch... Our ability to go and get the ball back is also incredibly high. And so, yeah, I can see the mistakes. I'm a 50-50 guy with Tommy Yasu being there. If we're going away to Anfield, I will be playing Tommy Yasu myself. It doesn't mean I don't rate Zinchenko, just just my personal view, because I want to I want to go to war with them in the most vociferous ground in the country. I want to make sure we have no weakness. None, you know what I mean. So, but Zinchenko for the there, there are many games when I thought Zinchenko could could play in that role. I also thought, much like you, although I'm pleased Vieira came on, I was thinking potentially is this the day we're going to see Tierney come on when Shaka went off, 
and Sinchenko playing that role. But he went the other way, which I thought was a great show of faith for Vieira. And also a great show of faith for Sinchenko, which he's shown faith in. And the first eleven is set, mate, isn't it, really? It's set, it's there. The first chance you had a first time you had a chance to repick it, he picked it and Zinchenko was in. So at the moment in time, given the fact we're making the best start in Arsenal's history just about, I'm gonna keep my mouth shut and let the manager do what he's got to do, right? I mean, we are on one hundred point pace. There's very, very little to complain about when you are fourteen <laughs> games in and you have played 14, won 12, lost one, drawn one. Very, very little to complain about. I do want to zoom out and talk Manchester City losing home to Brentford, their form, the title race, and what the World Cup does to it. Maybe just a tiniest tinge of January. I will say this, by the way, about Zinchenko. The other thing that was driving me nuts, late in the game, later, late-ish in the game, we're up, we're comfortable. He strides onto it at the edge of the final third, and he played a couple of early early crosses, like early, I guess, outswinger type crosses. I don't hate those generally, but in that situation, like just give it out to Martinelli out wide, keep the ball. <laughs> he just, he didn't seem to have his full situational awareness uh, going in this game, but that's okay. I quite like them crosses. I have to say, I like them. I in quite like situations. those crosses, mate. And, and when you, when we did our scouting video, you probably forgot, but when we did our scouting video, <laughs> he does, he does that. And a lot of them are to Jesus. They mm-hmm. honestly are. They are to Jesus. That sweeping cross to the back post and Jesus on the back post, Tim's going to nod any second. Jesus to the back post where he completes his run and finishes. That That's one of his stock moves. I, I'm, I'm okay with it, to be honest, mate. I like them. I just don't know if I like them <laughs> up, away, you know, game pretty well put away and I just want it to be nice and safe and secure. But yes, I, I like them in general and I think they are a nice way to pull defense out of shape. So let's, um, let's move on. I mean, look, one of the things is we know that we know that this team had the shits they did. And like that, that, that could be sickness, but it could be gut health issues. And I think pretty clearly if they had taken their AG one, you know, maybe just maybe this would have been an easier day. That's all I'm saying. You know, someone who takes AG1, have some gut issues. It's been great. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to start your day right. You just put it in a cup of water and you drink it. it tastes great. It's for your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. All the things. Um, firstly, it, tastes, it has like a vanilla taste. I think it's quite nice to drink down. I like that I can get rid of the five different jars of gummies that... Um, you know, I took to try to get all of my various vitamins and nutrients and probably didn't get any of them except sugar. So this is lifestyle friendly though. So this is keto, it's paleo, it's vegan, it's daily free, it's gluten-free, it contains less than a gram of sugar and no GMOs or nasty chemicals. So you can just take it, feel good about it, get what you need. For me, um, it's helped with my reliance on coffee. I'll still have my cup of coffee, of course, but I just feel like I have more energy throughout the day. It's a small micro habit with big benefits. It's a one thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself less than an expensive cup of coffee every day. There's over 7,000 five-star reviews. Go for it. Do it now. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase so you can have it when you're out and about. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash vision. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash vision to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And don't wind up having to come off like Granite Shack or run to the toilet, potentially. You know what I mean? I don't know, 
but potentially. So it's time for me to tell you that this podcast is sponsored by Better Health. Nope. See, that's the thing they tell you specifically not to say. This podcast is sponsored by Better Help. And I think it's good that they know that the Better Health thing comes out because I don't know why that keeps coming out. So let's be clear. It's Better Help, H-E-L-P. That's Better Help, H-E-L-P. Better Help is virtual therapy, but it's still real therapy, licensed therapists, therapists who have specialties in the area of need that you have. You can match with someone. If it doesn't work, you can match with someone else. You can go camera on, you can camera off. This is the reality. Life doesn't come with a user manual. And we are so adept at going to the doctor when we need medical help, going to the gym when we want to get fit, you know, going on a diet if we want to lose weight, all the things about our life that we understand we need help with or we need to work on. And then when life's hard or you're struggling or you're stressed or you have a lot on your mind, we're like, oh, I guess I just have to fix it myself. You don't have to just fix it yourself. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online, plus it's affordable. Uh, that's it. It's bringing it to the people. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with the therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. Couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash vision. That's better H-E-L-P, betterhelp.com slash vision. Do it now. <clears throat> and uh, where would we be if we didn't tell you that the only way Arsenal are going to win the titles if we strengthen in January, and the only way you're going to have the perfect business is if you find the right talent. And finding the right talent means using Indeed. Indeed is a hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with all the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. I mean, look, Indeed's U.S. data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match the job description the moment they sponsor a job. And with virtual interviews, you can match the interview process to the work process, remote, virtual. Companies that are going away from that are losing talent. You want to bring talent into your business or you want to find a business that's committed to that? A virtual interview says we're committed to remote work. Higher efficiency, higher productivity, more happiness for everyone. You don't have to waste time. In fact, Indeed makes it easy because you don't have to install anything. You can work right from your browser. After using Indeed's virtual interviews, most employers said it saved them days of hiring time. And you know what they say about time. Time is money. I, I mean... It's as much money as that stuff that FTX was, you know, that's another issue altogether. Join over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Indeed knows when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality candidates, quality applications from resumes in their database matching your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash vision to start hiring now. Just go to Indeed.com slash vision. Indeed.com slash vision. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application. Resume not available. Is that enough of that? Indeed. Nailed it. Okay. Oh, feels good to get back to that. Mm, just in that zone, in that pocket. Get up there in that high register, screeching. Had someone on Twitter say, what the hell was the screeching? If you don't know, now you know. Got to educate you on the Arsenal Vision way of doing ad reads. Let's zoom out. Tim, Manchester City, dominant Manchester City, lost at home to Brentford. Got a lucky penalty call at home to Fulham. The presumption is the reason we can't win a title is because we can't have more points than Manchester City. And to be fair, it still remains to be seen whether we can because you're probably going to need more than 90 points to win a title this season. We are five points clear. Firstly, after 14 games on a 100-point pace, when you're five points clear, don't give me this, don't talk about a title, don't talk about a title. Like, it's real. We're mm -hmm. five points clear after 14 games on a 100-point pace. And the team that's chasing us just lost at home to Brentford. Now, we know 
why they have the advantage. The money they can spend in January. The strength and depth of the squad. The caliber of their players. The experience they have winning titles and the manager that they have. But is it fair to at least acknowledge that at this moment, that team has shown just the vaguest, slightest signs of having, I'm not saying they're flawed, they're going to finish sixth, but you look at the two teams and the team that has tripped over its shoelaces a little bit more is City. So Mm. does this loss to Brentford, and a loss that I think is warranted, they got hit on the counter, they gave up some very big chances in that game, does it give you pause to rethink a, a, a squad that, oh, by the way, is sending the most players to the World Cup in teams that are expected to go far with players who are going to start. I mean, Holland aside, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that, and that's that's the big one, isn't it? I think it's quite interesting with City, actually, because I think, um, you know, I watched their game against Newcastle earlier in the season where it's 3-3 and they were 3-1 down and they got it back and, and they played Villa away and they drew 1-1. And I think quite clearly what's happened with them is having Haaland means that they've sacrificed a little bit of control, um, which stands to reason because they've gone from basically having like eight midfielders and, and no real forwards and constantly just rotating that centre forward so they had absolute dominance over the game to not only having a fixed centre forward but a low touch centre forward now so I, I I think they haven't been playing as well as we've we've seen them the, the difference is that low touch centre forward <laughs> wins them most of the games they play so True. it's almost kind of it's almost like a scaled up version of the Ronaldo argument um, it's just Ronaldo is nowhere near as good as, as Holland now, and his flaws are, you know, so that's why I say scaled up. Like Ronaldo demonstratively, I think, takes out so much out of your team that it's not worth having him in anymore. That is not the case for Holland. If you can have Holland, you have Holland. But I do think that there's been a little bit of an adjustment for City, and I do think that was always quite likely. In Sterling and Jesus, they lost two very like long term attacking options who know that system inside out and have been a big big part of it for a long time now both of them weren't as big a part of it maybe last season but they still been in there for five years plus um and they lost both of them so not only have they got holland and again all caveats um have just been assigned for that but alvarez as well really really promising forward in two or three years he's going to be one of the best forwards in the world but he isn't yet Mm. he's 19 and he's still got to learn the system a little bit as well so it's it's as close to a transition as man city get really um they manage their defensive transition really well away from company away from fernandinho they they got rodri in uh like before Fernandinho came out, so that by the time he actually left, probably not an enormous issue. Um, albeit, I still think they are maybe slightly more vulnerable on the counter-attack as we saw in this game. Like Brentford's winning goal, if Fernandinho's there and he's three years younger, he he makes a foul before Brentford are even in mm. the city half. So mm. I do think maybe they're a little bit looser structure-wise, but I think the other thing about City, and, and ordinarily that would give me quite a bit of hope, I, I think the thing about City is I have seen them, again, by their incredibly exalted standards, start some seasons slowly, but they figure shit out as they go. So in like the COVID season... I remember they didn't start that season brilliantly. Yeah. But I remember like Guardiola did a very like back to basics, like, right, let's go, let's do Man City plus, Man City plus, 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 because they worked out that COVID football 
um, there wasn't as much place for high pressing. And you saw what happened to Liverpool and Man City kind of just went, okay, let's do a little bit less of that and more of just hogging the ball. And and you saw some teams be really effective, like David Moyes' West Ham, really, really effective in the in COVID football because they don't press. Um, and so I, I think there might be something going on there and maybe the World Cup in the middle of the season makes this more akin to a COVID season. Maybe it yep. opens that window that we've talked about before. It seems like every six to seven years, a window opens in the Premier League for a potential surprise or new winner. Um, and maybe that's this season, albeit at the moment, we don't know what effect the World Cup will have. Um, and it might not be a good one for us. It might not be we, that, that's a complete unknown at this stage. But a hundred percent, like we we are top on merit. Like there is only one game this season that I didn't think we deserved to win, and that was Leeds, and we won it. Um, yeah. and, and and like we've we've been. I, I should go and look at this, but I reckon we've won the XG most games. I don't think we did against United. Um, because they created three very high value chances against us, but like we've been really, really good, and City haven't been bad by any means. They've just had a couple of games where, you know, they, they've and obviously they've changed things a bit. So, like again, on them, there's more data. There's more. How do we deal with Haaland? How do we deal with the spaces? Because he's not scoring as much at the moment. Which again is not to say that he's rubbish or anything, or that. Just one in the last two. Where, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so, and so, you know, like there, there's some stuff going on there. I still like, and I'm not just saying this to like put the damp cloth on it or anything like that. I still do think City will work those things out as the season goes on because they usually do. I think Phil Foden's going to have a big part to play because I think what England haven't realised yet and I think what City are realising is he's a goal scorer. Um, he can do the midfield stuff. I see him for City as a Sterling replacement. I think I think he's a really, really good attacker, really good finisher. Obviously, he's really good technically, so he can do all that build-up stuff. Uh, you know, I I think Foden's going to score um, a hatful of goals. Actually, I think that's that's my kind of prediction. But like, of, of mm. course, we're in. you can't be five points clear after fourteen games and say you're not in it. Of course, you are. You're 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 banging it. And um, I just say enjoy it because it's great yeah well and and the thing is like whether you want to talk about a a title challenge or you don't want to talk about a title challenge like it sort of feels like silly don't jinx it don't ruin it nonsense to not talk about it at this point and actually Mikel Arteta referenced it I think for the first time after this match and it it is the case I I think Scott's model has us up to something like 30 percent so yes I think it's a little bit like don't jinx it. I also think the internet has ruined all of our brains because if we or certainly <laughs> we we talk about it and we're worried about what the quote tweets might look like in April if we say oh yes. we're in the title race and we're worried about getting ratioed in April uh it, you know if it doesn't happen like I think there's a large element of that as well. Yeah, I mean look, we were top on Valentine's Day <clears throat> in the Leicester season and didn't even compete with them for it, right? Like we know this thing can go sideways, but we also weren't on a hundred point pace at any point in that season. We weren't great that season. Just nobody was great. The difference is we are great. This is much closer in my estimation to something like the 07, 08 season, right? A young team that no one expected to challenge yet playing the best football in the country or certainly right there with city, um, trying to, to, to get it done. Whether we do or not is not the point. 
I won't consider this failure if we don't win the title, but we should at least acknowledge that we're on 100-point pace 14 games in. We're in the title race. It just is what it is. And, Clive, like, the the fact of us not being favorites doesn't mean it's not real. I do think City want to win the Champions League, right? Pep just keeps not doing that. When that comes back, that is going to be a focus for them. And, I, I you know, I wonder how that influences things and impacts things. I had someone say to me on the internet, oh, you know, the problem is, Elliot, all it would take is Party and Jesus to get injured for six weeks and our title challenge is done. Well, yeah. If our best players are out for six weeks, we will struggle. Uh, look at Liverpool's titles. Their key players played 38 games. Unless you're City, if you want to challenge into the 90s of points, you better have your most important players available the overwhelming majority of the season. Some of this is about luck. It's always somewhat about luck. Right, And so when Liverpool lost Virgil van Dijk for most of a season, they barely finished fourth. So Clive, I, I just don't know any other way to say this than City are still favorites for me, but I see enough reason to believe that it's worth believing. Is I guess as far as I can go. I see yep. enough reason to believe it's worth believing. I, what I can't wrap my head around in is what the World Cup will do. Because you got a team like Liverpool last season that pushed City all the way to the end. You take six weeks off, you come back for the next season, and they look like crap. We could come out of the World Cup break like that, just looking like a totally different team. I don't think we will, but I don't know. The more I think about the World Cup break, the more I think we're winning and City aren't, and we wish we should have just kept playing. This would have been great. So how do you view that, that stoppage and the impact it can have? Because we've seen this. We've seen teams look like title challengers at the end of one season, six weeks later start a new season, and look like Liverpool do, just a totally different side. Yeah, so how can I do this one? I, I don't think we're going to look. I think we're going to look just as good when we come back. The reason why? Because I think we are much more strategically organised off the pitch. Details count. When I start seeing Thomas Party step over a barrier and picking up a towel for a long throw, I know people are thinking about the game of football at the club, right? And that tells you mm-hmm. something. And so I'm not worried about. I'm not worried about us when it comes to that. Obviously, injury is the same for everybody. If we get a bad injury to a key person, then obviously that's it. And this is why I'm a little bit um, more supportive of a Vieira because when Odegaard couldn't play at Brentford, Vieira steps up, we win the game. When Shaka couldn't play at um, Wolves, Vieira steps up, we win the game. And I think these are players, you know, as fans, we really need to get behind because these are players that give us the depth that everyone says we don't have. And so we need we need to get behind these guys because there will be a time when we need them. De Vieira's development and Smith Rowe's development are two players I'm massively looking at because they could be anything with four weeks preseason behind them when they come back. And that's the most important thing for me. I look at the other teams. I, I said this in August, Elliot. I see transition, and I see even more transition than when I said it originally. Even at City, they lost some major pillars in in Sterling, Zinchenko, and Jesus, who you knew exactly what they would do. Yep. And they've added yep. in Akanji, Haaland, and Alvarez. And Tim's right about Alvarez, going to be top, but not quite there yet. Haaland, we know what he is, but we also don't know what he, what his down days look like. And when people get around him, what they're going to do to manage him. And Akanji got beaten on the first header by Tony at the weekend, got thrown about a bit. Not a bad player. John Stones is struggling with injury. 
Um, mm. Laporte, the rumours of him going to Barcelona, by the way, in the background, but he's not as sprightly as he once was. Every team has their problem. Carl Walker struggling with injury. He's a big Teams miss have for them too, I think. Why? To, to get back, you need that pace to, to go the other direction. Yeah. A huge miss for them. And he's got John Stones playing a right back in a, in a sprinting position, pulling his hamstrings because he's in a different role. He's having to do far more repeat sprints. And so they're in transition and you've got players in midfield like Bernardo that um, he's absolutely excellent. But, you know, there are rumors about him leaving, you know. So you've got Jack Grealish who had a good game last week. But again, it's a transition player who they didn't get a lot from last season. They need something from this season. Every team has these developmental issues. We see what's happened at Liverpool. We watched Chelsea last week. Powder puff performance from them. They didn't improve this week. They've got issues in their team, injuries and players that need to assimilate to a new manager, new coaching staff. And we are sitting there quite stable with a young team with an upward curve. I'll tell, tell you now, City are City. If they beat us, they beat us. It's no problem. In a strange way, the, t- the team that's annoying me the most is Tottenham. Because mm-hmm. they, they, I don't think they're very good. And they just keep stealing wins. And I, I want them in the distance so far away I can't see them. You know, so And they're the team that's also got a quite stable coaching environment. Also got a quite stable setup. Whether you like it or not, there's stability there. And in a year when you, there's an, inst- an instability within the season, the teams with the most stable group with a stable way of playing, I think are the ones that are going to come through towards the end. Again, if you look at Newcastle from a stability point of view, they've stabilised this year. They've added only a few bits. They're quite stable. They're playing once a week. They have no Europe. And it's starting to happen. It's the mm-hmm. unstable teams that are transitioning that I feel are dropping away. And Manchester United coming to that as well. You know, so mm-hmm. that's where I am with it, mate. So I do think... Well, look, we don't know the future, but I I am not ignoring this window of opportunity that's in front of us. I am really not ignoring it, and I think we need to seize it. Yeah, you mentioned Manchester United. Nobody's happier for a World Cup break than that club to get away from this Ronaldo situation as he lights the touch paper and burns down the club to, of all people, Piers Morgan. If you want to do something just odious, Piers Morgan is always there to be your man. I think... um, yeah, if they had to go play games right now, it'd be a huge distraction. They're very lucky they don't have to. But, Tim, this is where I start to get my ire up a little bit. And this is why you have to see this as a title challenge. We're not guaranteed to be on a 100-point pace every season. And we're not guaranteed to be five points clear 14 games into the season every season. City may not stay this good forever, but United may not stay this bad. They have resources. Newcastle are clearly on the rise. They have resources. Liverpool, if they stay smart, if they stay engaged... They're going to be there. Spurs, unfortunately, have resources now with the, with, the, with the new ground that they have. They may not be title challengers, but they're going to be a pest. Chelsea, you know, Todd Bowley's a mess right now, but he hires a few right people. We know the money's going to be there. This is a difficult, difficult league to compete in. We know that. We've been eighth in this league. We're sitting first right now. Look at Liverpool. Look where they were last season. Look where they are this season. Things change very quickly. If you don't try to take this season by the scruff of the neck, then what's the point? What is the point? Because, yeah, we're the youngest team in the league, but what if one of them doesn't sign to Ting? What if one of them does their ACL next season? Like, you just never know. And if you don't take the chance when you're on a 100-point pace, then when do you take it? When do you take it? And, you know, not to make this too much of a rant, but, uh, he says, ranting, um, I think when I... 
there are people right now, I said this on the Instagram Action, who are 30 years old listening to us who were, what, 13 when we last won a title? Did I do the math right? 13, 12, 13. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, 12, 12 years old. Th- that's the situation we're seeking to overturn right now. And so where I'm going with this, Tim, is you got to pull a summer deal forward to January. You've got to go. Sp- and I'm not saying go buy a mediocre player for $70 million. And I know January is hard. But this whole business of don't wreck the plan, don't wreck the plan, don't wreck the I was behind it last January. You can go back to the podcast. I was behind it because this is what we wanted to build to. But when you're five points clear and you're at the top and you're in a hundred point pace and you never know what the next season is going to bring and you've got six clubs behind you that are going to spend and chase and get better. If you don't push the boat out this season, you're not guaranteed to get another this season again. So to me, this is now where the club really shows, I understand discipline, Tim, but the point of discipline is that you build something that can win a title. Well, now we're there. Now we're there. And so I do think now we have to be a little less circumspect and a little more urgent in January because one more forward, one more midfielder, and I don't think we're outsiders for the title. I think we're neck and neck for the title. So how do you feel about balancing the project with recognizing that even though it's ahead of schedule, the project is in a place right now where it can be realized? Yeah, I I don't even necessarily think it'd be ahead of schedule. We did spend the whole of deadline day trying to sign a midfielder um, I think it was quite clear that Arteta wanted another attacker. I think you can tell those are the two positions he wants. I think he's kind of hinted quite broadly that he'd like to revisit at least one of those in January. And I think those hints have become even broader recently. I mean, after going out of the Carabao Cup, he was asked about the squad depth and he was, you know, a bit non-committal, but non-committal in a way that didn't say, yeah, we've got a great squad. It's all fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm not necessarily sure it would be ahead of schedule. I do think that there was always a good chance that we would add in January anyway. I guess the question is, do we add in both those positions or just one of those positions? Like, Because, quote-unquote, the project, right, is that El Nenny extended for a year, so we'd revisit that next summer. So what, do we, what, what if we bring that forward six months and perhaps Tielemans comes in in January for a fee rather than coming in for free, just as an example, mm-hmm. uh, rather than coming in for free um, next summer um, or something like that. I do think Arsenal are going to really try for an attacker, um, not least because Smith Rowe will be very lands in January. Yeah. I think. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. That's I, like a new signing for people who are not uh, of the lands era. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and because and we've been short, right? Like we've asked Saka and Martinelli to do a lot. They've played a lot of Europa League minutes. I don't think we wanted them to play. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're going to be in the Europa League knockout stages as well. And I, I really, really think he's going to want another wide player to cope with that because we've seen flashes of Nelson this season. We've seen a little bit of a flash of Marquinhos, but I, I don't think, I mean, Reese Nelson's not going to be here next season anyway. I'm pretty sure Marquinhos is a bit more of a project player. Um, and, you know, it, it will take another season or two till we really know what we've got there, I think. I, I, I In fact, I'd be stunned if we didn't go after a wide player. And I know, like, you know, all the talks about Mudrick at the moment, you know, wouldn't mind betting there's something in that. So I do think Arsenal will be aggressive in the market in January. And I, I think they probably were always going to be so, but I think the difference now is like you said, there's, there's a really good potential for a title here. Um, you know, to quote Clive from a few weeks ago, what if this is the season? What if this is the season that the The window window is now? Yeah. 
And we've got to remember, you know, Newcastle are coming up on the rails. So in a couple of years, even if Man City are not absolutely tip top, then the the likelihood of Newcastle, that, that, that's another club that we'd need to not be absolutely tip top. Um, but I guess if you wanted to, if you were, if you were Arteta Redu talking to the Cronkies, you'd say, look, we're probably going to be in the Champions League next season. Like top four, it's not done. But like it was a really, really good chance. So you can spend that money pretty sure that we're getting Champions League money um, next season. And, and look, by the way, we've got a couple of, uh, uh, well, we've got three young players who we're trying to convince to extend their deals with the club. And look, very, very obviously, all of their agents, as I think we predicted, didn't want to do anything before the World Cup. So those conversations aren't going to happen again until December, until they come back from the World Cup, possibly January. What do you think the first question is going to be from Saliba's agent, from Saka's agent? Like, who who's coming in? Who are we bringing so I, in? <laughs> yeah, who's coming in? So I don't have to get my my ankles kicked in the Europa League group stage anymore. Um, you know, so there, there's there's a bit of that to it as well. So, I, yeah, I, I felt we were always going to be aggressive, certainly in pursuit of a wide player. And and for me, it's just the question is, like, I I think the Tielemans deal is probably in the pipeline for like the summer on a free, and we let Elneny go and go from there, and that's that's certainly an upgrade. But like, you know, do we bring that forward? For example, assuming that my assumption is correct. Yeah, I, I mean, if we brought in a midfielder and a forward in January, suddenly, and, and then Smith-Rowe comes back, you look at this and you say, it doesn't feel as fragile. It feels like it's built to go the distance. And that's not even mentioning that, look, the Europa League is not the priority if you're fighting for a title, but winning a European trophy is something this club you know hasn't done, and it would be be pretty special to do it so yeah. i was just going to add to that sorry like and you look at the last couple of seasons the the guys who've come in and made a difference like we brought it's not exactly the same but we brought Erdegaard in on loan january 2021 we saw that made a difference towards the end of the season not a new signing by any means but Dennis Eddie, Suarez. Ed, well yeah of course but last season eddie and ketia um like not a new signing, but someone that we didn't think would make a big contribution. He came in and he did make a big contribution in April and May. And and really the regret is that we didn't allow him to make that contribution earlier. So that's another thing if you're our setter and Edu and you and you need assuming you need to persuade the owners, just say, look, these guys, they basically weren't part of the team in December, but by March, April they were. And that that kind of thing, an Eddie and Ketia style run from someone else. We've seen it before, Christopher Ray, Nicholas and Elka, guys like this. Yeah. Some of the guys Shavin. Yeah, some some of the guys yeah. the years the you win the league, some of the guys that get you over the line, not the guys that you expect. Freddie Lundberg in two thousand two, really good player, integral part of the team, but he hits an absolute golden run and it wins us the league. And and that can be any player. It really can. Yeah, and, and I think that it's incumbent upon us to do it. I, I'm not saying, you know, people be like, it's not that easy. None of this is easy. What Kennedy say, right? We do these things not because they are easy, but because they are hard, right? Like that's that's the point. Winning a league is hard. Building a club that can win the league is hard. We have been one of the biggest net spenders of the last couple of years to get to this point. To now be precious about the project, I think would be short-sighted. 
I'm not, and again, here's the needle you have to thread. I'm not saying go buy junk at an overpriced price just to have extra players. But I also think with the Smith-Rowe thing, as sad as it makes me to say it, the the suggestion that we can rely on him, I, I think is tough. Like He's a player that could certainly make a huge difference for us. But until we see him have a run where he stays fit, that's that's going to be a question mark, right? He's got to go out and prove that he could stay fit. So Clive, as a final thought, wh- where are you with pushing the boat out in January, making the push to make this the season, to, to pry that window open just a little further, while also respecting that we don't want to trash what we built? Yeah, there are two positions which we all know about. Uh, a, a, a wing forward, a wide forward who's versatile and... Probably favouring the right if we got Smith Rowe from the left, but maybe not. And um, a centre midfielder. And I've been thinking about this, as is my want. Um, I think a centre midfielder, and, and actually looking at some of the criticism of Sambi has made me think more carefully about what we need. And you know, with our 5 plus 5 mindset on, what we miss from Thomas Party replacement is someone who can win tackles. Very simply, win jewels. We have good players on the ball, but I don't think they create enough transitions. I don't think they know when to go in and understand their position, when to go and take the ball off people and move it quickly when teams are most vulnerable. And so I'm looking at a player that can transition, win tackles, stride out of jewels. There are two players that we're looking at, a guy called Ibrahima Bamba and Danilo. Both young, 2021. 20, one plays out of Portugal, one plays out of Brazil. Are we going to go for that guy, that guy now, and say, you're going to be the party guy, and then wait for Tielemans in the summer, and then maybe trade up El Nini and, and, and Sambi potentially? That's that's an option. Um, and the forward position, a friend of ours, you know, friend of, we all know, Guna Dave, wrote a great article the other day about we need to add our Reyes into the squad. And I love that analogy, because in 2004, Reyes came in, and just gave us that little boost to get over to get over the line, which I thought also think was a January signing. And yep, that Reyes player for me is one of it's one of two or three. They're in they're in the in the charts at the moment, and we all know who they are. And and, and I think we need to add them. I do think development alongside those two additions would be enough to get us where we need to get to. For me, still the Champions League. I just want that done. You know, I want that done. And if we do things properly and get a bit of luck of injury and you know, Smith Rowe, good development. You know, we talk about a guy who scored 10 goals last year. Please do not forget this player. You know, if he comes back with extra muscles and he's been to David Lloyd's and he's come back and he's looking fit, we are we are on. You know, we are on. So Vieira the same, two players into the group, and we start to answer the risks and the perception that people have of us that we are relying on people that maybe they don't rate below the first group, right? So I'm really hopeful that we were going to do it this time because why wouldn't you? From a business perspective, from a sporting ambition perspective, and Tim was talking about those three 21-year-olds, if you're those three 21-year-olds, we all want to see have the best years of their Arsenal lives with us, you got to make sure you support their careers. It's as simple yep. as that. And you don't support the careers with players not quite ready for that level. You know, that's what I'm going to say and without you, naming any names. You bring the people in who are, lev- who are ready. Sorry, Annette. 
No, you're right. And and to to your point, none of us want to be thinking about Champions League qualification when we're five points clear on a 100-point pace. But if you get the injury bug, if you get hit with it, you know what reinforcements do? They keep the title hope alive, but they also slam the back door on us potentially slipping out of the Champions League. Because God forbid you find yourself going 10, 12 games where you're starting Sambi Lakanga and with all goodwill intended, you're starting El Neni and, uh, and, and Enkedia, whatever. Like, this could unfortunately slip from a title challenge to trying to keep yourself in the Champions League. What strengthening does is it makes the title challenge a real thing that can stretch through the season, and it also slams the back door to make sure that there's no no possibility of this really falling apart and the wheels coming off. And so it's just the right thing to do. And again, it's hard. You got to do the hard things. That's why we all sign up for this. This is not entry-level stuff. So a final, final thought, Tim, we'll get out of here. Yeah, absolutely. And and look, it's it's just, yeah, like you said, for example, this, this season, and it isn't just that Man City maybe look... As, as dodgy as Man City get, like as you said, we're in a hundred point pace. It it almost doesn't matter. Like City, the most City have ever got is a hundred points. Mm-hmm. Um, so like just a hundred, just the hundred. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Out of one hundred and fourteen, so that like they don't usually do that. Like yeah, nineties, late nineties, and don't get me wrong. The last time we won it, we had ninety points, and we won it with seventy eight before, and and things like that. So. But like just the way we're playing at the moment, we've earned the right to focus on ourselves and almost just say, all right, yeah, City losing well to Brentford, said. wonderful. But we went out and did the business against Wolves. And that's one of the things I really like about this game as well, because I think that's a few weekends in a row now where the pressure has been on us. We've played second and we've and, and it's all been... God, we've got to get the result. And I, and listen, like everyone else, I, w- I, w- I was on the train to Wolverhampton and we we were trying to ignore the City game and then it got to 82 minutes and we were like, the phone started coming out <laughs> and then the kind of, and then like the facade gradually drops and it gets to 90 minutes and there's 10 minutes stoppage time and we're all like, we all say we're ignoring it and then we all simultaneously go, fuck's sake, 10 minutes stoppage time, what's going on? <laughs> We've all got the phone under the table and then my mate just puts the game on and we're like, don't put the game on, they'll score. <laughs> and uh, and they did score and it was Brentford who scored. And so like, don't get me wrong, that's all one, but as soon as like that game ended and like the euphoria died down, we all went, Oh my god, I'm really nervous now because <laughs> yep. we we have to win that. Like if we don't do this, it's going to be even worse. Like six weeks of fuck, we had the chance to go five points clear and we didn't do it, kind of thing. And I didn't detect that, those nerves in the team at all. Just like I didn't at Chelsea. Like at Chelsea, the again first time this season, the pressure was on us, and I just don't think it looked like it at all. We just looked like we were playing football. And and that's that's what's really obviously doing that in November and doing it in March and April are two very different things. Yeah. Um, but I, I've been I've just been really pleased with the last couple of games the way we've dealt with that pressure. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And look, for the next six weeks, no one's catching us. For the next six weeks, we're top. We can watch the World Cup or not watch the World Cup. Your choice. Safe in the knowledge that Arsenal are off to the best start in Premier League history, and that we're good. And that nothing's going to change about that for the time being. So let's enjoy it. Let's make sure we enjoy it. And I think that's the one problem with uh, jinx thinking. It can get you to resist enjoying things for the fear of losing them. 
But if you lose them, then you never got to enjoy them. I'm going to enjoy the hell out of this for as long as we can. And I hope you'll come on the journey with us. And I hope you'll watch the scouting videos with us over on Patreon. I hope you'll uh, stick around with the World Cup daily on here. You're going to get daily podcasts. So that'll be something. They'll probably be more in the 20, 30-minute range, but they should be a hell of a lot of fun, and I hope you enjoy them with us. We'll also be doing uh, a regular Arsenal Vision stuff as well. So we'll leave it there. Clive's on Twitter, at ClivePAFC. Thank you very much, Clive. Thank you very much. Tim's on Twitter, Stoberto. Thank you very much, Tim. Thank you very much, Stillmanator. Tim's on Twitter at Stillmanator. <laughs> Promise I will get that right uh, before the end of the season. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. We love you, and we will talk to you after your country 10, other country nil. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.